The series that we are ending today is the series that we started at the beginning of this semester on the Holy Spirit. And I hope it's been refreshing to you. I hope it's been really challenging. I've gotten some great feedback on, um, you know, just that as a church, we're moving in the direction of thinking through some things. Now, as any good sermon will do, you kind of get some piece of information, some challenge, some illustration, some visual. But by far the hardest thing to do, in my mind as a preacher, and even as a, a person who disciples other people, is to get them to apply any of the things that you've talked about in their life in an everyday way. So as we move into the sermon series next semester, let us not forget that our goal in that sermon series uh, is going to be to apply the things we learned in this sermon series, all right? And we don't want to get too caught up in the newest one uh, that we forget that. And so uh, be looking for uh, some ways that we will try to really push us out of some of our normal ways and traditions of doing things so that we can get back to what does it really mean on Sundays? And I, I know I missed last week, um, but Leslie you know, presented the question, how would Sundays change if we really did follow the Spirit of God in our lives? And so we're going to be really trying that out and figuring it out this next semester. And so uh, just be remembering and thinking about that. I mean, it's very easy for us to change a sermon topic, and it's like, oh, we're on to a new thing. And the sermon topic next semester is going to be building belief in the right reading of Scripture, and we're going to do a whole lot more expository sermons where we kind of bring out really scriptural passages and say, well, what am I supposed to believe as a result of reading this? Um, and, but, but again, the goal still is to begin to apply the things we did in this, this last series. And one of the things I think we're going to try next uh, semester, too, is um, open up about an hour earlier than we normally do here for any of you who want to be a part of a kind of a prayerful planning of our service for the day. And so if you just want to come show up, you don't have to be a part of any group, you don't have to commit to anything, and we'll probably try to get a week ahead so it's not the day of, um, but it'll just be an opportunity for people to come a little bit early and just think through the service and think about how we can... Uh, um, prepare ahead of time and do things, and I think that uh, will, will be a neat opportunity. Um, so anyway, I say all that to say that today will be the last time that we're talking about this uh, in terms of our sermon series. All right, so um, yeah, I'm a terrible vegetable gardener, okay? I don't know if you knew that. I know you probably wanted to know that, but I am terrible at it. I've tried no less than like six seasons and cannot get things to grow well um, the first time I tried, Glenn, Lanier, and I grew zucchini the size of a human arm, and we thought it was, like, so cool, and then we actually cut open to it and realized it was, like, 99.9% .9 water. You're not supposed to let them grow that large. Um, second season, I, I went ahead and did okra because everyone's like, okra is so easy, and I love okra. Okra is so good, cooked any way, not just fried. That's, like, the worst way to do it, I think. Um, and I made okra that was like, oh goodness, dental floss. And you cut it up and you try to cook it. Listen, I'm a terrible gardener, no matter how hard I try. And I know some people who are good gardeners and they're skilled to their gardening. They know what they're doing. It's good stuff. But at the end of the day, even if you're a pretty decent gardener, as you see, even in a lot of the illustrations from Scripture, seasons will come and knock out your crop. You have no control over it, no matter how much skill you ultimately have. 
And that's what I really want to make uh, the point of today as we end up this series, okay? And the title of this sermon is just, We Serve in the Strength of the Spirit, all right? We serve in the strength of the Spirit. Jesus in John 15 makes a statement that sounds really depressing, and he just says, apart from me, you can do nothing, okay? Apart from me, you can do nothing, not a thing. And we may take that as a threat. We may take it as a, well, but it seems like I've gotten pretty far in my life apart from him, or at least maybe he's, that's in one of those extreme statements where we're not supposed to take it literally. But Jesus just says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in the context of that passage, he has much more positive news as he's building on the idea that in him, you're going to bear fruit. Your life is going to look very fruitful and full of good things. And, uh, you know, that's just going to be the life of someone a, a part of Christ. But in him, you can do nothing. Uh, apart from him, you can do nothing. In him, you will bear much fruit. All right? So I want to read with that in mind, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. I'm actually going to have you guys read it. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. I want to read the entire passage because we're going to talk from this passage. And I'm going to try to spend a little bit more time uh, opening up uh, this idea of apart from him you can do uh, nothing, but within him you will bear much fruit, just from this, this passage about spiritual gifts. Does someone want to read? We can just do the popcorn kind of thing, you know, each paragraph, whatever, however you want to do it. Let's read it loud and proud. You don't have to raise your hand, just read it loud and proud. Okay, I want to try to break down this passage uh, in, in sort of three ways that I think are uh, helpful for us. This first one is really kind of strange. He's talking about we were all, uh, you know, kind of gone astray to these mute idols. It's a really great uh, illustration, although we have a little bit of a tough time understanding what the heck that means. Uh, the quick of it is that in this society, along with a lot of societies that tend to be less traditional or rich, Honor is one of the most important values that the society can have. And, and honor just being uh, that, you know, you're a part of a good family, a good village. You're worshiping the right idol, you, uh, whatever that may be. Now, that value for us seems silly, but we've got to remember that a lot of those societies, because they're traditional, spend a lot of time thinking about the past and the story that goes along with it. It wasn't like these guys were just carving out wood figures and being like, yeah, that's a good idol. No, these idols that they were worshiping had histories, they had skills, they had a, a lineage of faith that these people would, you know, uh, give credence to. And so uh, if you're going to try to transfer this today to a common idol in our language, uh, I would say probably one of the biggest ones is just achievement. That it, as a society, rather than honor, we care a lot more about individual achievement. How much can I achieve in my lifetime? Certainly those of you who are in school, you're surrounded with the idea of a GPA or a major or your salary. Those of you who are out of it, you know, the prestige of your job. And, you know, on and on goes the list. 
Well, achievement for us, and this is my first point, is a mute idol. And you know, by using the term mute, by personifying achievement, he's just ultimately saying this has no power. There's no ability to talk back to you, to give you any kind of information about yourself, about itself, about anything of value. It's just there for you to look at, and that's the extent of it. And anything that you experience as a result of that idol that you say is you know, where the idol came from or any story is ultimately a story made up by people for their own benefit. So even in that sense, it's a mute idol in terms of giving us anything really amazing or miraculous to tell us about our situation, our life, our understanding of the world. Well, achievement for us in our society is a mute idol, okay? It tells us very little about anything of value for ourselves, for reality. It is just something that as Americans, we love to be obsessed with, all right? And I don't want to go into that. We, I mean, you know, there's just a whole kind of where did that come from? Why do we care about it? I simply just want to make a quick uh, analogy to something that's happening in our day and age, something that you can connect with so that you understand this passage. Achievement. Guys, you will never accomplish anything of significant value apart from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, this is an incredibly exclusive and offensive and terrible idea for anybody, Christian or not, that doesn't believe that the Spirit is at work in our world. Uh, and for many of us, particularly young people, we've kind of compartmentalized away this statement that I'm not going to accomplish anything of value. It's more like, well, but kind of the Spirit indirectly gives me, enables me to do these things and that things, and so there's still value apart from things that I, you know, that I can directly relate back to what the Spirit is doing. But what Jesus is saying when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, is you will accomplish nothing of value that is meaningful in this life or the next apart from the Holy Spirit. And that, if that doesn't shock you, if that doesn't uh, make you uncomfortable, if that doesn't even make you angry a little bit, you probably actually don't understand it and certainly don't believe it. But as Christians, and we're called to believe this idea. And again, it isn't bad news. Uh, it's only bad news if we think that as humans, when we haven't been created by God and haven't been in, in, endowed with the things that he wants us to do in the world and that he's not in control of it. Because if he is in control of the world, if he is, has created the world to be like it is, yeah, it's obvious that there's nothing that we would be able to accomplish apart from him. If we could then God himself isn't that important of a figure. Because if he's important and he actually created all of this stuff, then it's obvious that we've got to go through him to do anything of significance or value. And so this idea of ach achievement, American achievement in particular, is really all about achievement in accordance with my own individual aims or societal aims or my own strengths or whatever else. And so in each one of these points, I want to give you a liar and, and a truth and I want to, uh, to have you kind of consider and think through what you believe about this. The lie is that in order to express our true identity, we have to do that through our strengths, our interests, our experience, our background, all the other things that are uh, personal to us. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, in order to express our true identity, we've got to be able to do that through our strengths, our interests, our background, our... Um, uh, I can't remember, I think I mentioned something else, but the trains got me all thinking about trains. 
Mostly because I have a train analogy in a second, so it made me jump a point. It's bad, man. Dang it. I'm trying so hard to be a better preacher, and I'm already failing. Uh, thanks, thanks. Thank you. Okay, okay, thanks. More, more encouragement? Bring it on in. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, the truth is that we find our identity through cultivation. And what that means is when, when Jesus talks about uh, those, those branches that do produce fruit, I'm going to prune, he's talking about cultivating. <laughs> One of the main reasons I'm a terrible farmer is because when I throw all those seeds in, I don't do anything else until it's time to harvest the produce. I don't weed eat. I don't pick bugs off. I don't spray anything. I just hope that at the end of a couple months, I do water kind of. I have this little metering tool that waters, but don't ever do it myself. Thank goodness God's not like that. Uh, he prunes us. He cultivates us. And in that cultivation is where we actually find our true identity and where the value of life comes in. It's not through our individual achievements and, and our strengths and our, our talents. These things aren't necessarily opposed to God's cultivation, but when they're seen as an end of themselves or used as an instrument for growth apart from God's cultivating, they become worthless and useless. In some ways, an impediment, if not at least a distraction to God cultivating in us something very specific. And this is, this is really important. So an illustration of this, we, we have a lot of people in our church, as I've had the privilege of being a part of our church now for, I don't know, 19 years maybe. I've known some folks, uh, an actress or two, a couple pro golfers, I don't know why exactly. Um, I have to look through my list here. A lot of people who have kind of gone to Ivy League schools, certainly in this area, some musicians, and I could go on and on down the list of people who felt that those strengths weren't the area of life God was leading them down. But instead, forsook, forsaked, forsookens, that's got to be right, uh, that path, because they felt God was calling them to an area that wasn't playing to their strengths. Now, let me be really clear here. I do not at all mean that God doesn't want some of us to be celebrities and athletes and, you know, uh, military special forces and on and on down the list. The problem is when those become an aim of themselves and it's really not in uh, tune with what God wants and a part of his cultivating process, we accomplish nothing of value by throwing down that path. I knew a guy, a freshman at UNT, when we first came up here, who was obsessed with trains. There's my train analogy. Just everything he wanted to do had to do with trains, all right? And, and he pulled God into this process. God is definitely leading me down this path, working with trains. And he was one of those guys where, you know, he was either crazy enough to actually be hearing from God, and God was like, yeah, you're trains, buddy, or just so obsessed with trains that he didn't hear from God ever. Um, he just kind of didn't know. That guy is now a car salesman, uh, which was his sort of second love, cars. And as near as I can tell from my interactions with him, really has no guiding light in his life from God on, on any kind of cultivation. He just sort of ran with what he was interested in. And, um, you know, I, I think 
what, what, what Paul is really saying here when he talks about we run after these kind of mute idols, and these mute idols won't ever say Jesus be cursed, and there's no possible way from the, apart from the Holy Spirit to say Jesus is Lord, is he's talking about this process we have of following idols, constantly following mute idols in our life. And one of the main things we have hopefully done in this sermon series is convinced you that at every day and every time, you've got a variety of mute idols that are simply pulling you in whatever direction you've decided to be pulled by them because they're mute. They aren't ultimately talking to you. And that the Spirit is drawing us back in to the cultivation process, saying, that's not the right path. Brad, you could go be a pilot, sure, but you're a wanderer, and probably you'd invest all this time and money into being a pilot, and then after four or five years, you'd be on to something else. Yeah, Brad, you go be a doctor, great, but then, you know, same process. Pilot careers, they're wanderers, there's all kinds of problems with that, not the path I have for you. And the cultivation is all about what's not only best for us, but in the common good. And, uh, and that's just hard. It's just hard, but that's what ultimately we're looking at when we talk about the Spirit of God working in people's lives, is it's, it's an actual voice. Most of what we follow, all of it, apart from the Spirit, is a mute idol. It has no ability to talk to us, no ability to tell us anything about life that's significant. We simply project onto it our own feelings, strengths, experiences, and understandings of the world. But the Spirit can overcome that power and actually begin to speak to us, which is really, really amazing. And so what Paul is saying here is incredibly significant. Uh, I just wanted to spend some time on it because uh, I think that passage comes across as really vexing and like, what, are they, what is he talking about? Why does it have any significance um, to, uh, to his overall argument about spiritual gifts? So what kind of growth really drives you? I'm not talking about motivates you. Most of us don't wake up in, you, in the morning and we're like really motivated by God cultivating me today. No, we, that, that's just not going to happen. It's, it can be, though, an underlying driving force of why we make the decisions we make. We may be you know, motivated by all of these mute idols and interests, and sometimes there's overlap there and everything else. But what ultimately drives our decision-making? I, in counseling, uh, well, me on the receiving end of counseling, uh, was talking to, uh, I have some anger issues, you know, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, one of the things my counselor was talking to me about is, you know, you, you have a tendency to really respond to the external world uh, in your anger. And the external world just sort of controls you. It's, you know, something happens, you respond. But people who ultimately overcome their anger are people who have an internal world that can overcome the external stimuli that you're happening around you. And I think this is the same true, uh, this is, it's true of this idea of what kind of growth really drives you. What kind of growth in your life really motivates you? Is it the internal growth that comes from character building, the pruning growth, the tough stuff? Or is it the external growth that comes from, oh, I won in a new achievement, I won an award, I got some recognition? You know, Maslow's hierarchy is kind of this way too, and you think about it, you've got to kind of go through these levels. And that self-actualization thing, whatever is that? Most of us are just mo mostly motivated by belonging to people and a community, and I'm going to do this because that person's going to accept me and, and all of these other things. But is your growth ultimately driven by uh, uh, the belief that God is cultivating you through the Holy Spirit, cultivating you? He knows exactly when that vine's got to be pruned. I'm starting to get out of my own element here. So I'm about to say things. I don't remember the yeah, leaves and vines and things like that. Apparently with tomatoes, any like 
little weird like thing that gets out like this. You should just like cut it off. I just let those things grow. So I was like, why not? Maybe I'd be a tomato on them at the end of it. Um, okay, but he knows. Yeah. Yeah, so what growth drives you? Is it the internal or external growth? And I think you've got to ask that. You know, is it the internal character growth that, you know, uh, each of us, in my mind, and there are a lot of people who have different ways of looking at this, so I'm certainly not trying to make this absolute, but to me, the biggest proof of God's existence in my life is character growth. It's turning me from someone who shouldn't even be near this place. And some of us are a little extreme, I think, in uh, our statements like that. And some of us are just church people, grew up in church, we've got to be okay with that. God's dealing with a lot of different things. But for me, to be here, to, to have the kind of changes that have happened in my life, uh, no counselor, no person, certainly no natural maturity trajectory would have been able to do those things. The Spirit did it. And that, to me, is that sort of daily proof, that internal character, that cultivation, that growth at the right time in my life. And so what drives you? You know, what growth drives you? That internal growth of, of character and of God really doing something in me that he knows has to be done at this moment through this person. And a lot of times we only get that in retrospect or that kind of external growth. It's really about sort of connecting with the world uh, in ways that are ultimately about projecting our interest on it uh, rather than uh, seeing ourselves to the identity of, a, of the spirit. One of my favorite books ever, and it's, it's a tough read, but if you've got nothing to do over the Christmas break, it's called Birthright. And, uh, you know, the best book in my mind about just Christian identity, about understanding what really takes place between going from not a Christian to a Christian. What, what really changes about my identity? It's just called Birthright. Ah. <laughs> Look it up, man. It's old. I think the, like, tagline is super cheesy. It's like, Christian, who are you? Or <laughs> something like that. I, I don't remember the author. I can't remember authors or musicians or anyone. I, I just can't. Uh, whatever. I don't even remember most of you. Um, <laughs> your name, so... All right, so the next thing is, so the first thing is the achievement is a mute idol, and we've got to be very careful that we don't bring in achievement into uh, our, our spirituality, and, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build on this as we move forward, and hopefully you, you'll see this is transitioning somewhat smoothly. The second thing is the spirit works in every way imaginable. One of the things that Paul is saying here in verse 4 is the Spirit distributes them, different kinds of service, same Lord, different kinds of working, but in all of them and everyone is the same God at work. Um, every way imaginable. One of the hard things with hearing that is the answering or asking the question, so how do we recognize the Spirit? Well, let me say two things about that. The first one is who says you need to? And number two is... Uh, you know, the Spirit can work whether or not you're aware or recognize His working. Guys, I mean, you know, He doesn't need you. I mean, certainly that's ideal, (laughs) I think. Um, But He can. And, and, you know, the second thing I want to say about that is if you really want to recognize the Spirit working, you really have to start with some of just the basic beliefs about what the Spirit does. And I'm not going to talk too much into that because I tried to preach about that two weeks ago in that awful sermon that made no sense. Um, and uh, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about this this, this next semester. Okay? So uh, how do we recognize His work? Well, let me tell you the lie here. The Spirit works in the spiritual, in the miraculous, in the church, in good people. You're getting the drift, right? 
It's that spiritual secular stuff that the scripture really doesn't do. One of the things that's brought to my attention in this preaching class, which has really stuck with me, is when the early apostles were preaching the gospel to their society, this was a public message that applied to everyone. Think about that in Acts. I mean, you get each kind of six types of people represented in Acts. You've got the, the, the really you know, strict Jewish people. You've got the sort of rest of the Jewish people. You have the Samaritans. You have the Gentiles. You have those of authority. I mean, you get these different groups. But the message was a public message. It was for everybody. Leslie Newbegin, which is a, a really, really great Australian apologist, probably the best in the last 100 years, so that at some point in the last 120 years, we privatized the gospel message and made it pretty much only for good people, Christian people. Uh, and that was just never the apostles' intention. They would have never saw this as a private message to, to, to give to some people. Immediately, certainly the Jewish people. After they got out of that, though, the floodgates were open. This was a public message to all. And so when we, t- we think about the Spirit as primarily working among Christians, number one, that doesn't even make sense because if the Spirit draws all people to God, that means everybody will have an experience with the Spirit. And I don't mean that in an encounter, simply. But the Spirit is at work in our society, in and around us. And when we limit that to somehow really the major work is going on in the church or in good people, we fail to grasp and recognize uh, what it is Paul's saying here, that there's all kinds of work. And he says, but in all of them and in every one. In no way in the context is he simply just talking about the church here. And so it's one of the things that hopefully you picked up on through our series that the Spirit is constantly at work around us. The truth, of course, is the Spirit has absolutely no bounds. No bounds. And we can even make the argument that, uh, you know, probably the most... Uh, you know, hidden work is in the very uh, places that we wouldn't normally uh, see the Spirit working. And certainly you can see that as a result of Jesus' ministry. Yeah. That's the dude. Need him. You need him. Okay. Uh, Yep. So to give you an example of this, you know, um, one of the main things that God cultivated in my heart in college was a desire, uh, and, and some of this he used my sociology classes that I took at the community college, uh, to just open up my, my mind to a world that wasn't exactly my world growing up, a world that was, uh, you know, people who were discriminated against and rejected and treated poorly, um, some of the very people that I treated poorly in, in my upbringing and in my, my experience. And so through that, I kind of had this deep desire to somehow connect worlds. I felt my life was somewhat insignificant, um, not being around the marginalized. And I saw you know, Jesus and, and saw how he was able to do that, but more than just like a Sunday volunteer outreach opportunity. But still, even until I got to Denton, really wasn't that involved with anything. And then one day... The water on our stupid well goes out, okay, meaning that I guess the pump just died, and out comes some skinny country blue-collar guy to work on my well who was, you know, brusque, 
but liked Rua, and so would pet Rua, and we kind of struck up a conversation, and eventually I started working with him and helping out, and guys, I can't tell you possibly what God has done in my life through one of my best friends, Noah Sims. Many of you have never met him. Some of you have. If you had car work, he's the one that taught me almost everything I know about cars. He's the one that got me involved with Willie and the community here. And no matter how many attempts I tried to kind of be involved in these areas I wanted to be involved in, it took God working in the spirit with a guy who had just become a Christian. I think I'm okay with telling you that he had spent most of his time, his life already as a felon. He would be okay with me telling you that. Someone who just our past would not have crossed had it not been for the spirit moving in our lives. And really just turned my life around in some ways in regard to God's ministry here in Denton. But that's the kind of stuff that God does. He has no bounds. The most random and weird experience, I told you about that one guy once in the parking lot who hit me, and he was like, don't file this on insurance because my wife's hit so many people in the last year. And he's like, what if I just pay you cash? And I'm like, all right, sure, because I was going to keep it anyway. I always keep the cash when people hit me. Um, I don't care if driving around a junky car. I'd rather, much rather have cash, man. It's cash money. Um, and... Uh, so through this experience, somehow we just got talking about ministry, and, and, and uh, he and his wife, you know, came, were part of our church, and, and recently they had went through a really nasty divorce, and, um, you know, it was, it was our church that was able to uh, truly minister, not me directly, but, but people in our church, but it's just that kind of stuff. It's day-to-day stuff. We're on this path. We're on this trajectory. We're thinking, here are all the ways that the Spirit's going to work, and then all of a sudden God just does something to show us how our plans are silly compared to him. And his. And, and to some degree, we've got to be aware of that stuff. We've got to be open to it. Because who knows how many doors have been closed? Who knows how many times God had given me a Noah-type person in my life that I just had ignored? And finally, that time, I was ready. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, but that's one of the things that you really uh, hopefully take away from this sermon series on the Spirit, is he has no bounds. He'll work in so many ways. And so I want to leave you with the question of where can't you see the Spirit working now? Because, guys, if you can't see him working, you've got a problem. And that's okay because probably God's been yelling and screaming for you to see this for a long time, and, and you just haven't recognized it. But it's not for lack of the Spirit working. It's for lack of you paying attention to what it is he's doing in that environment and in that area. Constantly at work, has no bounds. And I'm serious about this. This is not some you know, rhetorical question. Where in your life do you not see the Spirit working or do you really want to see Him working and begin to focus on that area and be amazed because, you know, maybe God's plan is not to involve you in that area and maybe you're going to come up just as dry as you started, but the process itself will help teach and train you in really looking for God's activity in and around you because He's at work. And I tend to think that anytime we open our eyes and are aware of it, He begins to invite us in because then we're a lot more uh, you know, ready to put him in control there and not be trying to control it ourselves, which is really my third point. The third point here, and I know this is redundant, and we've talked about this so many times, but it's so important still, and I want to kind of take a different spin on it. A spirit works in everyone. It's really what Paul is trying to make this long statement about in verses 7 through 11, and so much so that he's going to use this famous analogy after that of the body, where all these pieces of the body. But all of this comes from this thing that we're talking about now first. That's the framework he's got to lay, groundwork he's got to lay, okay? 
but that the Spirit works. In fact, he just very much says it. The Spirit gives a gift to anybody and everybody, okay? Now, I do have to qualify here that I definitely think in this context, he's beginning to talk about the church itself in terms of the Spirit's gifting, but that everybody in the church of, of God has some spiritual gifting, and we've talked about giftings and, and some of that stuff throughout the semester, and you're going to have to go back and kind of reference that so as to not think of it uh, as just an extension of your own strength or, uh, or whatever else. But, but the Spirit uh, works in everyone. That is not to say that everyone works in the Spirit, and that is probably one of the most important things as Christians we've got to remember. Guys, from day to day, if we're honest, there are plenty of things we do apart from the Spirit. We just do. It's a part of our fallen human frailty. We get out, we do this stuff, and at the end of a day or a week, we look back and we can ask ourselves the question, if we're honest, how much of this stuff was just really about me doing stuff? <laughs> and how much of it was really about trying to, uh, you know, work in, in the spirit? And that's not a guilt trip. It's not supposed to be that. Again, just because you, you recognize it or don't recognize it, that's not, I don't think, always you know, the main, main goal here. Uh, the goal is, is simply to recognize uh, that the Spirit is constantly working and can work in everyone around us, whether they know it or not. The lie here is the Spirit is work in my hard work and in my effort or my goodness. Too many well-meaning Christians, and I think there's a lot of us in here who do ministry and are at work, think that because we're working hard and because we're expending a lot of effort, the Spirit is at work there. And... There's nothing wrong with expending effort, and there's nothing wrong with working hard. But let us never equate the two as one and the same, that our hard work equals the spirit working, as we've done in our society. Just work hard and good things will happen. There are a lot of people working hard, working harder than others, and no, no good things are really happening to them. <laughs> hard work by itself doesn't get the job done. And, and the Spirit is not going to work simply because we're frenzied with activity and we have a billion things going on and we're accomplishing all these things that we think are important. The truth is the Spirit has his own agenda and is going to be accomplishing the common good as Paul is talking about here. And that common good extends beyond the church. And so if your lazy activity and half-heartedness somehow picks up with the Spirit, it's working, then it, he's going to use it. You know, now, does that mean that you ought to be lazy and half-hearted all the time? No, there's obviously really good principles for just general hard work. But let us never equate the two as being one and the same. The Spirit's going to work for the common good. He has his agenda, okay? Uh, I like to cook, but some of us, you know, there's too many cooks in the kitchen uh, when it comes to the Spirit's working. So I'm over there mincing garlic as fast as I can, and we're making ice cream, all right? Well, the Spirit's not going to be able to use that because it's garlic and ice cream. Some of you freaks or pregnant people, uh, maybe that works. But I can be doing that all day long. And, and that doesn't mean the Spirit's going to use that. It's that you know, sort of Martha mentality. You're not doing the one thing that needs to be done. The Spirit has his own agenda, and if you hear nothing else from this sermon series, he is doing what he does, whether you are involved or not. And you have no say in it. You join up. You be aware. You roll the dice. For some of us, we're like, I don't know if this is a spirit thing, but I'm going to go with it, which is a part of our, again, human condition, I think. And we join in. One of my favorite stories that I you know, kind of tell all the time 
is uh, that in, you know, Brandon, uh, the leader of the uh, focus ministries, and I, one semester, I think we're probably, if we are going to admit it, we're like com- kind of competing a little bit. But I had like nine studies, and he had like eight studies, or like ten. I don't even remember. I probably won, just to be honest. Um, and at the end of that semester, no one, not one of our Focus on Jesus studies had stuck around and had borne any fruit in their lives. I mean, just gone. But two guys who we had studied with a couple you know, years past, both had one study each. And one of those guys is our youth minister at uh, Garland. And the other one is a youth minister now at another church. And it was just a learning opportunity for us to realize, hey, you got a lot of work, but you aren't even in touch with what the Spirit is doing here. And I'm not to say that just because we didn't have a success with them, that that made the Spirit wasn't there. But you get the general gist. I mean, who knows what God was really doing in those studies. But I can tell you what I was doing with it, trying to, you know, basically not rely on the Spirit and do as much work and effort as I possibly could so I could feel good about what I was doing. So, guys, the conclusion here, you know, I think is uh, that in terms of trying to kind of wrap our mind about our, our mind around what are we doing uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh, the first and most important thing is the Spirit is cultivating in us, okay, a whole new character and a whole new way of looking at the world, primarily that takes our individual achievement and successes out of the limelight and gives us the actual reality of the world, which is the spirit working for the common good. That's really what's going on. It's kind of as simple as that. <laughs> and so I think, you know, this obsession or this fixation on recognizing that work can be really important, um, but we ought not be obsessed with it. That, you know, we've got to ev- at every moment be understanding how the spirit works. We've got to rather, I think, try our best to be aware, and we've got to do our best, uh, you know, to recognize, I think, these, these, these things in terms of these basic beliefs about the Spirit working. Number one, that he has no bounds, and number two, he can work in everyone and anything. Because when we start limiting those off, a lot of what we're ultimately doing, whether we realize it or not, is projecting our own strengths onto the situation. Well, this guy's so different than me, no way that I could ever have an opportunity to share the gospel with him. But again, that's about you and your narrow way of looking at what you can accomplish and and do. The Spirit loves using the most unlikely people. God loves doing that because then he gets the glory for it. It's one of the most, I think, um, uh, endearing, I don't know, that seems like a lessening it, but the things about God's character is that he constantly loves to use the people who no one expected anything of because then he just gets the glory for it and people can recognize, wait a second, This was about God in the first place. As we read in the scripture two weeks ago, uh, the wisdom that shames the wise, um, you know, or, you know, the the idea that's coming out of the babe's mouth or baby's mouth. Babes sounds different. Um, That's the word. So as we move into this, this, uh, you know, sermon series, uh, you know, next semester, I hope that you'll focus on, you know, starting at the basic level. What are your beliefs about how the spirit works? How can you build and develop those beliefs? Because that's what's ultimately going to make you aware, which is what you want, uh, or many of us want, 
But we've got to be really careful with our awareness, right? Because uh, that will can constantly come in the form of an idol. We want an idol. We want something we can visualize. We want something we can project ourselves on. We want something miraculous that will, you know, just open my mind and blow my mind. Uh, so that I don't have to do the hard work of, uh, of building the core beliefs. So as we, we talk through uh, you know, these, these ideas next semester, hopefully you'll be kind of taking a, um, an inventory of what do you really believe about the Spirit's work, about what God is doing, uh, and, uh, and begin to develop that and think that and try that out uh, throughout, your, uh, throughout your weeks. Uh, well, you know, that goes back to asking the question, what's God's will, right? Um, and I think what Paul was saying in the verse, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, was the most wide and broad definition of common good you could come up with. Because that's the term he's using, is the Spirit is ultimately in everything that's good for all of us. I mean, I think sometimes we, we um, have trouble with this simply because we, we take a lot of our ideas of good from our culture and not from religion. But again, where did those ideas come from in our culture? Can we not trace so many of them back to just the nature of being human or to even our Christian heritage as a country? So, you know, unfortunately, we don't have time to, to go too much into that. It's one of those also kind of absolutely stunning and shocking beliefs is that the Spirit is doing everything of significance in our world that's good for the common good. We see too much bad. For us to want to believe that we see uh you know things working that we're like that's not how i would have done it so is it really good uh and we got to remember here the spirit isn't just manhandling us as humans okay he's working in our effort and in the church as the scripture talks about and so when when we head astray i mean you know next semester guys when we talk about the reformers and the early church fathers gosh christian history is wonderful in some ways and awful in other ways because it's like that weird uncle that has these charming personality traits, but also you kind of don't want to tell anyone you're related to him. <laughs> and that's Christian history. Is There's a lot of stuff that's just like, yeah, I'm so glad Christians were a part of that. And other things are just like, how could any Christian ever be a part of that? Uh, but it's the lineage of, of our religion. And we've got to be very careful that the Spirit never said, hey, I'm, I've come to create a new religion. Uh, this was a public message for all people. And so the Spirit's work and the church's work diverges quite a bit, and we've got to recognize that through the Word of God. But the common good, I think, is just, you know, think back to what James says about every good gift comes from God. Um, and again, that's not us going and trying to take good things and saying that was the Spirit doing it. Well, okay, but that's tricky, okay? I mean, you know, sure, we should believe certain things that the Spirit does, but uh, I think it's always better um, uh, to kind of think through that and to try to make our own connections than it is to make some of these grand statements. I don't see Jesus doing a lot of those grand public statements in terms of, you know, movements of his day. Um, certainly the spiritual aspects of what God wants from us are really important, um, but Jesus could have easily talked about uh, movements of his time, things that were going on as... Uh, as good things that God was doing. Um, but that would have been a problem because a lot of them really weren't that good, at least in the long run. Uh, okay, and then, uh, of course, you know, if you remember the point, just to make one more answer to your question, that the Spirit is working one-on-one, -on -one, 
that is God's way of working in us, then we can tend to think that the common good, while has a kind of vague, broad, large perspective, that common good is still being done through individual people. And that's important. Isn't he just going out and, oh, Spirit started a nonprofit. <laughs> taking care of everyone now. No, he's working through individual people, uh, you know, to, to accomplish the common good. And that's really important. Okay, I'm going to say a prayer for our communion time. And uh, uh, if you're visiting with us, you know, we communion is really loud and we celebrate uh, um, the Lord's gift to us. And there's bread and you can dip it in the juice and we'll come back and uh, finish a time of singing, okay? Lord God, thank you so much for choosing to work through us in um, the midst of all the obstacles that we put up and the barriers. Uh, I, I just pray that you would continue to reveal to us how we project ourselves on these mute idols um, so that we can turn our attention back to you and the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for uh, just the representative stories in here of cultivation, the way that you've pruned us and challenged us and used each other to um, just change the trajectory of our lives. That, that's just amazing. It's unbelievable. And we praise you, Jesus, that you would even give us a chance to do that, that you would take on um, our weakness onto yourself and, uh, and give us a better path, uh, not just a vision of a better path, but that you would actually empower us through your spirit to accomplish those things is just something to be celebrated. We love you, Lord, and uh, we do this in your, excuse me, in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.